Hello and welcome back to Authors on the Air, friends. My guest today is Jim Fusilli. Those of you who don't know Jim, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. He was the music pop and rock critic for the Wall Street Journal for many, many years. He's a wizard on knowing how to use all the apps to do music, which he still hasn't explained in color for me. So uh, I can use Spotify and create my playlist. He keeps promising to do that. I hope you will this time, Jim. Um, he also is a very prolific writer. Uh, he has written quite a few books, uh, multiple books, and many um published stories that appears in magazines and in anthologies with Lee Child, Dennis Lehane, Laura Littman, people like that. Uh, he has a new book out called The Price You Pay, published by Down and Out. You can find that book in bookstores and on your favorite online service. Jim Fusilli, welcome to the show. Good to see you, Pam. Thanks for having Good me. Good to see you. My pleasure. Congratulations on the new book and congratulations on working hard to make sure it's in bookstores. Because that's really important, isn't it? It's important to me. Um, you know, I haven't had a book in bookstores in 15 years. Wow. Although I've, I've published in that time with Amazon and with Audible. But it's been 15 years since I've actually seen my books on the shelves in bookstores. Wow. Uh, did you take a picture? <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I did. I do that. It's, it's corny, but I do it. No, no, it's not. When, I, when I'm when i in a bookstore and I see books written by friends, I, I'm always taking pictures saying, I've seen you in the wild, or if it's in a grocery store and right. you know, BJ's or something like that, Costco. No, when, I wasn't, when I wasn't in the bookstore, I would look on the shelves and I would see this little empty space next to Alan First's books. And I would think, oh, see, that's where I'm supposed to be. There you go. You just slide one in there, you know. <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I want to talk to you about all your creative endeavors. You and I were talking in San Diego at BoucherCon, and we discussed extensively music, which is so important in my life and obviously was important in yours. You are very eclectic in all your taste in music, correct? That's correct. I don't distinguish. It's just um, if it's good, I like it. And if it's not, I don't. It's, it's as simple as that. Anything favorite for you? Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, I'm I'm on title. I, I use title instead of Spotify, and I always publish my favorite albums of the years list on those. And uh, you know, they're they're outside the mainstream. I don't find a lot interesting in the mainstream, but um, I'm very bullish on today's music. I think I think there's lots and lots of good stuff happening, uh, whether for bad or for good. The listener has to do a lot of the work to find it. But sure. it's out there. It's out there. Now, is your taste in reading as eclectic as your taste in music? No, it's it's less so, Pam. There's a, there's a certain type of author that I really like. And uh, it doesn't matter if they are described as a genre writer or as a literary novelist. I don't see that distinction at all. I just like clean, direct, respectful writing. I like stories that are told in an honest, straightforward manner. I like stories that arise from the setting, which is why I can like a Dennis Lehane and I can like a Willa Cather with the same type of taste. If the story arises from the ground and the people are of that setting and they're being direct and honest with each other, that's my kind of story. What is your least favorite story, kind of story? Um, boy, that's a great question. You know. I have to confess that I don't understand sci-fi. I, I just, okay. 
my imagination doesn't run in that area. And my wife likes to read sci-fi and I try, but I don't even understand sci-fi in the movies. I just don't get it. And I will say something about romance novels um, and cozies. I would say about eight years ago, I think it was maybe a little sooner than that, I was a judge for the cozy category at the Edgars. And I probably read 50 cozies. And before that, I would have told you I don't like cozies. And after that, I discovered that I like cozies very much. Oh, they're tons of fun. Cozies were nothing like I was led to believe they were. They registered with me. They satisfied me in terms of richness of character, richness of setting. You could tell that the authors were delighted to write these books. Yes. And um, so I sneak a cozy in every now and then. Good for you. I do too. I read across genre. My cat is talking to us. I'm sorry. I read across genre as well, except I don't like horror and I don't like historical so much. And that isn't because I'm offended by the past. It's just that when someone was talking about the Vietnam war era and saying that's the historical and I lived through that and I don't feel like I'm historical at all. <laughs> I'm never going to read a historical then. Forget it if that's what it is. You know, well, I, I actually, I don't like, I don't like cartel stories because they're just too hard on me. The stories are too raw. They're too brutal. I grew up in Miami. We had plenty of, you know, cocaine cowboys over there and everything else. Uh, it's, I don't like reading those, but um, I do I like reading a cozy. I love fantasy. I love contemporary romance. I like reading, you know, your kind of writing, obviously, because we have so many of the same authors that we like in common. So I really like that, too. Thank you. The, the thing for a journalist that, that's appealing about historical fiction is that you have a given set of facts. So you have these sort of touchstones that you... you you, you can rely on and, and, and you have a fixed setting that you can rely on as well. In my book, The Price You Pay, it's set in Jersey City in 1973. So I, I this is a highly autobiographical book. I've never written as Really? Old. That's interesting. Yeah. I was a teenage teamster, Pam. Oh, oh, and okay. This, this book is about a teenage teamster. Uh, now that setting, I knew very well because I lived through it. My two previous books, uh, Narrow's Gate and The Mayor of Polk Street, were in fictionalized versions of a city that I grew up in, in eras prior to my birth. So hmm. these are two different types of historical fictions. One is you live through it. The other is you have some familiarity with it, but you're going to toy around a little bit with it. Um, you know, Robert Parker was an early uh, champion of mine, and I loved Bob, and he was it was really great to me, but there was this story that I was told that someone said to him, you know, these two streets in Boston don't intersect. And he said, now they do. <laughs> I like that. I, like I, that. I tell you, for, for a journalist, that's, that's hard. You know, I've often said to friends who are writers, God, if only these two things happened in the opposite order, I could use it. And they say to me, well, you're you're free to use it. You know, what are you, what are you talking about? It's a novel. You don't have to stick to the facts. But but I, but I bet you readers respond if it's not right. I, I Readers pick up things like that. And I'm sure they're on Amazon reviews or sending stuff to the author saying, hey, that's not right. 
Pam, you're absolutely right. And I learned that with my first novel, uh, Closing Time, which came out 2001. I was doing research on a character walking uptown in New York, but the street ran downtown and I was in my car. And so I had the stores in the wrong order. And my book was, my book was out for about a month. Uh, and this was before email. I got a, I got a sternly worded snail mail letter from someone telling me that I got it wrong. And so, I'm yeah, sure. you're absolutely I'm sure. right. Readers know. Let's talk about the price you pay. Um, you said it's semi, uh, well, it's not semi autobiographical. It is autobiographical. You have placed um, your memories and your life in a, in a fictional setting. Give listeners an idea of what they can expect from this book, please. Yeah, in in the late uh, in the early 1970s, I took a job in a trucking company that was run by the Teamsters, and I had a job in the office. And it, we were initially we were not Teamsters. The Teamsters ran the dock and they ran the drivers, and then they took over the office as well. This was a Teamster local that was run by the Genovese crime family, and these people were involved in very bad activities. And when I say that, Pam, I don't mean that they double parked or that they uh, jaywalked. This, this local was eventually seized by the Justice Department. And the officers were charged with murder, extortion, kidnapping, uh, felonious assault, the worst kind of capital crimes that you could have. And this was the background where I was working. Now, most of these crimes did not touch the trucking company where I worked, but some of them did. And uh, the more I became aware of what was going on, the more I realized that this, this was a, a very bad scene for me. It was not the kind of environment I wanted to be in. So in The Price You Pay, my lead character, Mickey Wright, takes a job under similar circumstances, except his father is very different than my father was. His father endorses this criminal activity. He doesn't mind at all that these bad guys are running around. The irony is, of course, he's a cop. He's a dirty cop. He injects his son into this situation, and he doesn't care that his son is now at great risk. And eventually something explosive happens, and our Mickey has to make a choice. It's a very riveting story. It, I like the fact I like your writing style so much. It was easy for me to read. I don't mean I wasn't riveted to it, but it's, I'm not trying to connect dots. You've laid out a very well-written story and I enjoyed it. And I have to tell you something that we're very blessed that there are writers like you and so many others. 2024 so far has started off with a bang for really great mystery reads and thrillers. And I have to include you in that, Jim. It was really a fun book. Thanks very much. You're um, very welcome. Well, I had this story, as you can imagine, since it took place in 73, I had it percolating in my head for a long time. And I couldn't figure out quite how to tell it uh, because it was so dark. There was nothing about it that was light and enjoyable. Mickey, our character, Mickey, his, even though he's quite naive, he has a plan for his life. He knows what he wants to do. And we, as the reader are rooting for him to be able to do this, although we suspect he may not be able to because the forces that are lining up against him are too powerful. It's his dad, therefore it's the police also. It's 
local politicians. It's the Teamster Union. And he's just this young, naive guy. And the tragedy of, of Mickey, of course, is that his plan makes sense. He could make something out of himself. He could escape this environment. Whether he has the wherewithal to do it, um, you know, we don't learn that until rather late in the book. I want to ask you, um, did you, when you were working in that trucking company, were you aware of, of the, what was going on in the crime world then? The larger pitch, the, the larger picture, no, I didn't know. Uh, I mean, there was, you, you know, I grew up in Hoboken and there was always sort of minor crime going around, you know, I mean, people gambled on sports and if you didn't have the money to pay off your debt, you know, you had to go to the street and get it and something bad was going to happen if, if you did that. And stolen merchandise was available to purchase. So, I mean, I knew about those things, but I don't think that I thought of them really as crime. You know, I just thought that's the way things were. And I certainly didn't think of them as gateways to larger crimes. Did your, when you were growing up, did that inform you or uh, push you to become a journalist by any chance? My father was uh, very proudly Italian American, and but he was also he also loathed gangsters. He despised wise guys. And when I was a kid, I would say to him, um, "Dad, what about what about that guy?" And he would say, "Stay away from that guy. You don't want to have anything to do with that guy." So that made me curious about them, but it also warned me away from them. The second observation I make is that I think gangsters are, are born. I don't think they're made. They are not created figures. Um, it was pretty obvious early on to those guys I worked with that I wasn't going to become a gangster. You know, I either want You think it's a state of mind or they're just groomed? I, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, in, in, in personality. In Narrow's Gate, there's a line that I use about one of the gangsters, and I say he was shipped from the factory without a soul. And these people, you cannot negotiate with them. You, you, you cannot plea with them. You cannot reason with them. They're, they're very focused on one thing and one thing only, and that is getting from you what they want. Yeah. And nothing, nothing else matters. And so I've had a discussion with several writers about the antagonists in their books. And uh, we were discussing one day, I think it's just last week, you know, bad guys think that most bad guys are the heroes of their own stories. They're doing something for a reason. But it sounds like that's not the case with the gangsters. They are not the heroes of their own stories. They are in it just for greed. Is that yeah, correct? In my experience, the, the sort of myth of the Godfather, where this was an alternative way to deal with equally or or more vile forces in larger society, I've never seen that to be true in my case. Mm -hmm. These people just wanted uh, an easy way to get stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, and and you know, they could justify their behavior. One thing that trips up Mickey in the book is that. He's essentially a loner. You know, you learn on the first page that his mother's dead and he misses her terribly and that she was his best friend. And now he's alone and his father has no patience for him. You learn that on the first page too. 
So when he winds up among these, these truckers, these hard guys who work on the dock, you know, not all of them are bad. And he finds camaraderie there. And he, he, he starts to think, well, maybe this is where I belong. You know, maybe I can't expect better than this. And they're not all so bad, are they? You know, because he begins to know the guys who ran the bad guys. He has contact with some of the real bad guys. Right. And he starts to think, well, and, and in fact, there's one scene in the book where he actually defends them to a group of people. Well, that's naivete, though, isn't it? I think so. I think I think Mickey's, you know, it's it's very funny about Mickey. Um, and if, if I may be, if I may say this, people used to say the same thing about me when I was a kid. They used to say, you know, you're, you're smart, but you don't know anything. You're so naive. You don't understand the way the world works. Um, you, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to have any level of success because you, you're just a kid and you don't get it. They, and people said this to me when, in, when I was in my teens, they would say that to me. And here's why, Pam, they didn't understand that there were other paths to success and that there were other types of ambitions. You know, they called me college boy derisively. That's you know, and when, when, they would see me, when they would see me do my homework in the lunchroom, they thought that that was ridiculous. You know, if they saw me carrying uh, some esoteric books, books yeah, yeah. they just thought that was absurd. Um, not all of them. Again, I, I, you know, all of these guys are dead, by the way. And I do wish that some of them were still alive because they all weren't bad. And I would like to have given them the book to say, what do you think? Do you think I got it right? Do you think yeah. this is the way it was? Well, I, I, you know, if you're in your teens, obviously you still got a lot, a lot of growing to do anyway. And, uh, but that doesn't mean you don't want to have a path or you're not thinking about a path forward. Yeah. You're, you're not really, I don't think your brain is fully formed until you're at the end of your twenties and, you know, you've had a little bit of life to live as, as both a teenager and adult, but, but that doesn't mean you don't have a drive to get better for yourself. So I completely relate to what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a wise thing that you're telling us. You know, I, I like, you know, Mickey has it more together than I had it in some ways. And then other, other ways he doesn't. But the one thing about Mickey is that he has a plan and he knows what he wants to do. And it seems ridiculous uh, on the surface of it, given who he is and what his family is like and the situation he's in. But it's actually quite a good plan. And um, whether he's going to be able to do it or not is, I, I think, at the heart of of, of the story. I mean, obviously, sure. want, you know, are the bad guys going to get their comeuppance? We want to know that. But, you it, know, it, but also it's the motivation. I mean, it, it gives him his motivation. That's the character's drive. So, yes, of course, it makes complete sense to me when you say it like that. Yeah. And when he meets his he, he has a girlfriend, Mickey, and he meets her at, at college. They go to college together. And when he starts to spend time with her and spend time with her family, he sees another way of living. He's never had this experience before. For example, her, fa her father is a very reasonable person. He's a manager of a uh, sales force at a pharmaceutical company. He's a Nixon supporter. 
He has nothing whatsoever to do with the kind of life Mickey leads. And when he and Mickey have conversations, one hopes that the reader says, Mickey, please listen to this man. Yeah. You know, right. please listen to him. And um, you don't know if Mickey will, because the life the man is describing is difficult. It, it's so hard for him to understand it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mickey's looking, Mickey has been told his whole life that there's a short way of doing things. Right. Just, you know, you know, buy in with these bad guys, you know, do do favors, take shortcuts, uh, turn a blind eye, and that's how you get ahead. Right. And what Mickey's finding out is that that is not the way at all. And it's not satisfying either. So, Jim, show the book. You, I know you have a copy. I have mine on. My my copy is on my Kindle. Mm, yeah, there we go. There's the price you pay. Published by Down and Out Books. You can find out more. Thank you. You can find out more about Jim at www.jimfusilli.com. Uh, I will go ahead and put up your links for your website and a little link where they can go and buy your book. Um. I want to ask you a few questions real quick. You know, five quick questions, five quick answers before you okay. leave. Um, favorite food? I like Italian food very much. What specifically? Oh, good pastas. Good, good pasta? Dishes. Okay. The whole, the whole um, cats or dogs? Dogs. Big dog fan here. Okay. You can come back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whose book is on your nightstand? Right now I'm reading Claire Keegan. And Someone, tell me a little bit about the story. It's Brief. very, I'm, I'm, I'm very early on in the page. It's about okay. a young girl and her father visiting his, uh, his, his, uh, the town where he grew up. Uh, I was told that she was the next best thing to William Trevor, a William oh, Trevor. Fabulous. Okay. So I'm all in. Favorite author. Oh boy. That's tough. Uh, Penelope Fitzgerald is probably my favorite author. Okay. Favorite, mu favorite music right now. Favorite song right now. Uh, well, uh, women are dominating the popular music scene. We saw that in the Grammys, but the Grammys. more so, I mean, uh, uh, below the surface, the, just the best period of singer-songwriters for women that I've ever experienced. My favorite album of last year was by an artist who performs under the name of Mega Bog. Mega Bog album is just fantastic. And what what style of music is it? It's 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 uh, outside the mainstream. It's somewhat electronica, someone somewhat rhythm and blues, somewhat dancing, so cool. but great storytelling. Okay, Jim Fusilli, it's so nice to see you again, my friend. Same here. Peter. Will you come back when your when your next book is out? Anytime you want. Will you come back and be a guest host? Anytime you want, Pam. Okay, we're going to talk about it. Thanks for being with me, everybody. And Jim, thank you. All the best with the price you pay. Appreciate you all being here. I'll see you next time.